I had a visit from the chief of uh, the general staff of the Jordanian Armed Forces this morning. In a video that sent shockwaves across the Middle East, Jordan's Prince Hamza bin Hussein announced he was under house arrest. He informed me that I was not allowed to go out to communicate with people or to meet with them. He said the order came from his half-brother, King Abdullah II, after allegations from Jordanian authorities of Prince Hamza's involvement in a plot to destabilize the country. I am not the person responsible for the breakdown in governance, for the corruption, and for the incompetence. They are responsible. It was a week of palace intrigue, closed-door negotiations, and worldwide concerns about the future of the country. So what does an internal rift reveal about a nation known for its stability? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Jordan's often seen as an island of calm in the region, but last week, that was thrown into doubt. So we called Huda Abdul Hamid, a senior correspondent with Al Jazeera English. She's in Doha and has been covering the Middle East for years. Saturday evening, there was a statement that came out from Jordanian officials that several individuals had been detained. Jordanian authorities have arrested several high-level officials for what they describe as security reasons. Then we woke up to the video released by Prince Hamza, in which he is saying that he's been put under house arrest. The king's half-brother had been placed under house arrest, along with 16 others, for allegedly plotting to destabilize Jordan. That he had received a visit from the chief of staff, and then he goes on all these accusations about poor governance, etc. The king's half-brother sharply criticized Jordanian leaders, but he denied being part of an alleged coup plot. Shortly after, the chief of staff issues a statement saying, no, he's not under house arrest. Finally, the deputy prime minister comes out and says, make no mistakes, there was a plot. The state intelligence authority has been closely monitoring activity from His Highness Hamza and others whose movements were aimed at undermining our stability and security. Then, after that, Prince Hamza releases an audio message in which he's quite defiant and he basically says that he won't be silenced. After the back and forth between the palace and the prince, another twist. A family elder, their uncle, Prince Hassan, got involved and mediated between the two brothers. The result of that negotiation was a signed statement released by the palace in which Prince Hamza pledged loyalty to King Abdullah. And then, the first words from the king. In a letter read out by a news anchor, the king said that sedition had been squashed, but also that this crisis was the most painful because it came from inside and outside the royal family. Hada, what's the relationship like between King Abdullah II and Prince Hamza? We don't know much because, in general, the royal family likes to keep its affairs away from the public eye. But what we know, first of all, they half-brothers. They don't have the same mother. Uh, Abdullah is the son of the second wife of King Hussein, Queen Muna. 
And Hamza is the eldest son of Queen Noor, who was the last wife of King Hussein. She is known to be his favorite wife, the love of his life. He was educated in Britain. He also spent some time in the Jordanian Royal Air Force. And then when he was sort of being groomed by his mother, Queen Noor, to become the successor of King Hussein. But when King Hussein died in 1999, Hamza was way too young. But it was the wish of King Hussein that he would be nominated as the crown prince and maybe eventually become a king. So Prince Hamza was named crown prince, but then in 2004, the king, his half-brother, removed that title from him. It was a surprising move, and we don't know much because, as usual, everything is contained within the palace. But at the time, King Abdullah said that he was freeing his half-brother from the constraints of the role. Now, I don't know how much Prince Hamza enjoyed that or agreed with that. He probably felt that he was dethroned all of a sudden, especially that King Abdullah had gone against the wishes of his father. You have to remember that Prince Hamza is said to have been the favorite of King Hussein. He used to actually describe him publicly as the delight of my eyes. Maybe King Abdullah didn't appreciate that too much. It's quite obvious that there's a rift between these two men. So when news broke that these videos had been released and they are coming from Prince Hamza, what did you think? I have to say, when I heard him say, I'm not responsible for the lack of faith that people have in their institutions. They are responsible. I was like quite surprised. I was like, wow, these are very strong words. What's going to happen to this guy? He spoke against the royal family, which is something unprecedented in that country. Usually the royal family resolves all these problems within, I would say, the walls of the royal palace. But nothing is ever confirmed. It's all hearsay. This time we have a prince who went, who smuggled out a video basically through his lawyer in two languages, one in Arabic and one in English. So he makes sure that everybody understands him in which he had very harsh words against the governance of the country. And then you start looking at the other story. Okay, they're accusing him of a plot. A plot for what? To overthrow the government? Prince Hamza says in the video, I have no intention of overthrowing the government. I'm not part of any conspiracy or nefarious organization or foreign-backed group. I have spoken with people and tried to remain connected to people in the hope that they realize that there are members of this family who still love this country, who care for them and who will put them above all else. Basically, he's saying that his half-brother, the king, doesn't care. So it was quite surprising to see. And then you wanted to have some, you know, to know from the government, okay, you're accusing him of that. He says he's under house arrest. You're saying he's not under house arrest. But you're saying there's a plot. A plot one understands that it's an attempted coup, but you can't really have a coup if you don't have security forces or the military behind. So it's all very vague. And I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. How popular is Prince Hamza? How popular is King Abdullah? What what do people think about the royal family? 
It's very difficult to know exactly what people think. It's not a place where you could really talk freely. So me, each time I asked anyone, whether it's a taxi driver or anyone, how's it going? How's the king going? You don't hear any direct criticism of him. But what Prince Hamza is accused of doing, he's accused of forging ties and meeting quite often with uh, some quite powerful tribesmen and being quite popular among these people. And these are people who are angry, who are speaking out against corruption, who are also angry about the economic situation, uh, etc., There had been reports that in recent weeks, there were calls for protests among those tribal figures. Do we know anything more about that? Yes, there is sort of this loosely organized opposition called Herak that has been calling for these sort of mass protests. And the deputy prime minister did say when he came out with his statements, he did say that this alleged plot was being organized with foreign entities. Now, we don't know if that's a person, a country, he didn't specify, and this Jordanian opposition abroad. So it's all quite vague, but there is discontent in the country, and Prince Hamza does enjoy close ties with some very sort of disgruntled tribesmen, but quite powerful somehow. Two days after former Crown Prince Hamza said he was placed under house arrest, he issued a statement saying he was committed to the constitution and he pledged his allegiance to his half-brother, King Abdullah. What did you make of that statement? I made of that statement that at that there there must have been a lot of mediation going on. Queen Noor had weighed in uh, uh, in favor of her son, obviously. She made a public statement, right? It was on Twitter. Yes, indeed. She actually said, praying that truth and justice will prevail for all the innocent victims of this wicked slander. Now, they probably also realize as a family that this is not going to benefit anyone. If you're going to go harsh against Prince Hamza, who obviously enjoys the support of some people, at least in the country, you're going to aggravate them. And that is not good for the family. So probably they want to revert to let's sort out our problems within the walls of the royal palace among ourselves. Now, what's going to be interesting is to see where this mediation is going to lead. Is Prince Hamza going to get some sort of official role? If he's going to disappear completely or if he's going to be given in public space? That will be very interesting to see. Now there is a ban on all media coverage, including social media, about this. Why did that happen? And was that unusual? It's not so unusual if you put it within the context of the Middle East. And at the end of the day, the king has all the power. Is it because all sorts of rumors are spreading around? I think Jordanians are in shock. Usually news in Jordan is quite a flat diagram. You don't have much happening unless it's related 
to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or unless it's related to the war on uh, terrorism, there is not much going on there in terms of news. And in these situations, social media can play a huge role to spreading all sorts of rumors. So that could be, in my view, the main reason for this sort of ban on all kind of reporting. So what does that mean for journalists in Jordan? What does that mean for how this story is playing there? It means that this journalists in Jordan are not going to report on that story, but international media probably will continue to do that. And they will get their news probably from international outlets. Very few people know what's really happening at the moment. But the government is going to have to come out and answer questions. What was the plot about? Was it about overthrowing the king or not? Or was it merely organizing these mass protests? And then they're also going to have to say, who are the other people detained? The deputy prime minister said there's between 14 to 16 other people detained. Who are they? But they will have to do it, not only for the Jordanians, but also for, I think, the international community would like to know about it. I'm sure Washington knows much more, is on the phone probably with the palace as we speak, because it has all, it's really against both Washington, Israel's, Egypt's interest for that country to be in any sort of turmoil. You mentioned neighboring countries. Why is this important and why is the stability of Jordan so important for the region? Well, just look at how many countries border Jordan. You have Iraq, Syria, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. None of these countries are extremely stable. And so you had this tiny country called Jordan in the middle that has been extremely helpful on many occasions to the U.S. For example, you had at a certain point, you had U.S. troops stationed there. It has been extremely helpful in the war uh, against terrorism. It has been extremely helpful, for example, with Syrian refugees, about 600,000 living there. And it also has a very large population, which is actually of Palestinian origin. So all of that makes that the last place you want another chaos in the Middle East would be Jordan. Because if you then look at the map, you'd have Jordan in a crisis, Iraq in a crisis, Syria in a crisis, Lebanon stable, unstable. It would be a big disaster. One of the things that always strikes me when I go to Jordan, and especially the first time I went to Jordan on a reporting trip, was as soon as you land, you see these giant billboards of the royal family. You see their pictures everywhere. It's a fact of life that the royal family is there and is omnipresent. What does all of this mean for the average Jordanian? Does it matter? Will it really affect their day-to-day lives? I think the average Jordanian has other preoccupations at the moment. Yes, they want to know what's happening, of course. And so they always say, alhamdulillah, uh, our country is stable. They always actually uh, have spoken in favor of both King Hussein and King Abdullah about the fact that they managed to contain the country, that they managed to keep it safe more or less from ISIS, for example. Yeah, you had a couple of attacks, but nothing compared to what happened elsewhere. So that is something they credit their leadership with. But life is extremely difficult. The coronavirus pandemic in Jordan is pretty brutal at the moment, and they they haven't been able to contain it. The economy is 
a disaster, unemployment is rampant, the population is young. Yes, they want a stable country, but they want that leadership also to take care of them. And probably that's where Prince Hamza managed to find his own way in reaching out to these people, listening to their grievances. And probably those same people, those same tribes, maybe feel that the king is a bit removed from them, is not listening to them. So it would be interesting to see if the king himself starts changing, the government. It would be interesting to see the impact of what happened, even though I don't think there'll be serious repercussions. The king is in no danger. But maybe this is a wake-up call for him. He needs to bring about change. He needs to listen to his people more. And he needs to reach out more. So it would be interesting to see what impact this whole palace intrigue has on him. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez and Dina Kispe, with Priyanka Tilbey, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliay, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Tom Benton is our story editor. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs> 